Hey, I'm Lynn Rogala. And I'm Allie Diliberto, and we are coming to you from the ladies' room. So we can talk about removing stupid, frustrating, and toxic shit from the world in a way that's not prim enough for the dinner table. Okay, welcome back to the ladies' room. Yay, we're here. I'm very excited because, as promised, we're going to tell the Genesis story from where we left off on the last podcast. And we have the Genesis, some, the Genesis of, the of Genesis doTERRA. Of doTERRA, yeah. but also like the Emily Wright little hero story is really yes. how I think of that. And um, we just have lots of little nuggets to weave in. And so I think... Um, Look, do you want to jump in with that? Or do you want to jump? Like we've distinguished all kinds of things. We've been talking about it. Um, and I love what you've been saying about qualitative and quantitative and how that's played into the journey. So um, maybe I'll tee up and then you can distinguish that a little bit. Yeah. Well, let's set a little context because you're doing that Eric thing again, where I'm we sorry. were just having a conversation. <laughs> no, it's fine. Welcome it's very to the cute conversation. He, it's very cute when he does it. And it's also very cute when you do it, which is we were just talking and then we started the recording and then you were talking as if everybody else in the room had been there with us before, but that's okay. So we just got back from doTERRA convention and yes. we picked up a whole bunch of cool stuff. Like we knew we would. Um, yes. And by the way, there's a hummingbird outside my window and she is trying to get nectar out of my mother-in-law's fake chili peppers that she has hanging outside. Oh, Try somewhere oh. else here. <laughs> There's not a lot of flowers left. <laughs> she must be hungry. The, the babies are here, so she's hungry probably and wanting stuff for them. But those fake chili peppers are not going to give they're her anything. Do it. Nope, but they're bright red. <laughs> anyway, so um, we were really excited going into it because we've been distinguishing kind of what they're up to systemically in a way that we're not even sure if they know what they're, they're doing. I mean, they obviously know what they're doing, but in the, in the larger conversation. So you and I have been riffing about that and we wanted to just jump in and share some of our thoughts. So that's the context. Yes. And I think we both felt, you know, very smart at conventions. We're like, this is exactly what we've been saying. And I think they know what they're doing, but I don't think they um, see the large, like all the larger pieces at the same time. I think they're just starting to just actually, I don't think they know that that's where they're going the same way that you and I have been talking about for, for the last right. year. At right. least. Yeah. Cause we so, came up, we coined the term a couple months ago, at least a few months ago, we were trying to remember when non-toxic business practices that they've always been all about non-toxic products. Um, but now non-toxic business practices. And what does that mean? Um, and there's layers to that too, right? Like you can, you can be neutral and that's a non-toxic business practice, but then also to be um, maybe non-toxic isn't even the right word because it's a flourishing and a thriving, like the doTERRA. Right. And I was are. actually going to disagree with you that you can't be neutral. I really don't believe that as we've looked at infinite game and where companies are going, like, I don't know if there's a lot of neutral, but that's a debate for another day. Well, yeah. I mean, what I mean by neutral is like, I was saying on our previous conversation, kind of a do no harm, you know, right. I, I sell corn on the side of the road and I do my best. I don't hurt the earth, but I'm not necessarily nourishing the earth, right? Like I leave everything kind of the way I found it, um, which probably doesn't exist in reality, but I'm just saying, I was just like wondering aesthetic, that. <laughs> yeah. Like right. as an aesthetic place to start of, you know, leave, leave no trace would be what would be neutral. And then you can either be below that line or above that line. So I was kind of saying like non-toxic 
is almost like a, a, a neutral line. And it doesn't even really describe the products because it's one thing to say the lavender in my hand is non-toxic, but who cares? That that's kind of the minimum, right? Right, the necessary. minimum. If I'm putting this on or in my body, but I don't think we use that as much. Like I don't know if we use non toxic business practices as much as removing that active process of removing toxic business practices from the value chain, the supply chain, the right, the commerce chain. Like I think, and I think we're even just beginning to do that. The way we talked about the Gaudi Church, like in humanity, like we're distinguishing. Um, even what things are really toxic to us as human beings and um, what kind of pure business practices can be sought. Right. And then, but I think then to continue the analogy of lavender oil, I use lavender because it does something good for me. I'm better off ever after having used it. So it'd be one thing if it was neutral and it didn't hurt me at all. Um, That's a place to start, I guess. But after that, who cares? Uh, Your lavender didn't hurt you. So what? Um, and so then when we look at business practices and the value chain that doTERRA is creating, it's not just that they leave people unharmed, it's that they leave people better off and they are creating systems of thriving and flourishing um, yes. that I think is very, very different and new and something that we haven't really seen in human history, really. No, in my experience, I mean, I've always been really drawn to business practices and, and what things work. And I think we like we have talked about on the podcast, like some things in sales really work some of these ways and some things in the nonprofit world or, um, you know, grassroots activisms and activisms. Did you like that? Activism or different <laughs> things like have really been, um, you know, experimenting around the idea of some of these things. But really connecting all these pieces in a way that's being done inside doTERRA inside a large corporation is really, I haven't been able to find it. I can't wait until yeah. people start bringing us like, here's the place that's happening. Here's the place that's happening. That's going to be amazing. Right. And what's so interesting is we, re- we refer to doTERRA when we say a large corporation, we refer to them as a billion dollar business, but that's actually their revenues. So if you look at the valuation, they're privately held. So valuation isn't really a thing. But if you look at their valuation, they're a multi-billion dollar company. If you compare, you know, if you want to compare apples to apples, um, because most for sure say their valuation, they they shared some statistics about 586% or times growth, something I was like, I really need to talk to my math friend about this, but I won't, I won't torture everyone on the podcast, but I will discuss it and then we'll share that because it is absolutely amazing amount of growth and doTERRA is the kind of large corporation that a lot of people love to hate. Yeah, right. They're headed that way. (laughs) They're not a scrappy underdog anymore. They're now the, they're the 800 pound gorilla in this space. Um, And that's what we will definitely riff on another day about. Yes. Yes. (laughs) About about, that. Well, no, actually it isn't another day. That's part of this conversation. Like, I mean, maybe we should go right into what I was, what you pointed to about the quantitative qualitative because in order no. to do what they're doing, they had to lock down the space. Okay, so I love that because where you were thinking, we should riff around what you were thinking, but I was thinking about how as soon as anybody comes becomes large, you know, like we love to hate um, Am- the Amazon guy, Jeff Bezos, because, you know, and we forget, like he started this on his floor of his garage, right? Like yep. we can look at, di- I think there's something about, and a lot of people marketing about doTERRA um, or like in competition with doTERRA, like they're like, we're not doTERRA. So we're better because we're not the big 
you know, kid on the block. And that is just stupid marketing. Yeah, it's dumb. And and also, Dr. Hill said it's a nice compliment. They say our oils <laughs> are as good as doTERRA's, but we're not them. Like, okay, number right. one, they're not. And number two, okay, you're not. Way right. to go. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, we have we have a tighter deadline today. So so I'm gonna just yes, say so what I was saying. In. So last year at convention they presented something which we said we would tell on this one and I'll tell it as cutely as I can as a little story where every year they tell the founding story with from a slightly different lens um but when they told it last year I picked up on something and I think that might have been one of the only things that I watched from convention last year other than the product announcement which was so disappointing but um (laughs) I, I was like, oh my gosh, my jaw was on the floor because like they're doing something and I don't know if they even knew what they were doing, um, which was telling it like a hero's journey story, which I will tell, I promise. Um, and then this year they kind of expanded forward on that. Well, I'm, I'm starting to get myself all twisted up of like, I've got to tell something somewhere. <laughs> so um, so we, when doTERRA first started, okay, I'll tell the Emily thing and then we'll go. So this was yeah, tell the we'll little Emily here. Sorry. All right. So there, a couple of the founders used to work for a competing essential oil company, and they left for reasons. Um, and I don't want to get into all of that. But Emily was home, and her husband said to her, "I don't think you're done with these oils." And she's like, "Well, I I can't get what I want." Like she had she had in her I'm not even going to say brain because for Emily, things don't live there. Not that she's not smart, <laughs> but things live like in her heart and in her spirit yeah, and when in her she, wishes. When she walked on the stage, John was like, how many minutes till she starts crying and taking baths? <laughs> right. Wow. I mean, well, they had the bingo the one year where Emily crying was like the free space. But um, <laughs> but she, and I, I'm not saying she's not smart. She absolutely is an intelligent brilliant, person. Brilliant. But that's not where things come from inside her. They, they like come from- Which is this... the heart of female-led business, right? Yeah, really. Totally. I mean, it's funny because um, I don't know if we mentioned this on the podcast or not, but when they got Hugh Jackman to come for the 10th anniversary, um, everybody shot her down because he was at some of the height of his popularity at the time because of the greatest showman and everything. And everyone told her no way. And she's like, no, I'm going to get it done. And then when she talked to him, he, she said to him, I manifested you. And he said, I felt that, <laughs> which yeah, is so great that's awesome. because that's where stuff, she's the dreamer, right? Mm-hmm. So she had a dream. It sounds so over the top. She had a dream of what, of what oils could be and they didn't exist. And she actually looked and came home discouraged. So this is what I loved about the story because the way they told it was like little Emily got on her backpack and filled it, you know, with bread and cheese and took an extra (laughs) cloak and her stick. And she, you know, went out walking into the forest kind of on this journey of discovery and came home discouraged because, I mean, if it was a fairy tale, this would be act one, right? She goes right. out, little Emily searched the woods, but she couldn't bottle find after the magic bottle mushrooms. after bottle of right. contaminated yeah. oil, bottle. Right. I mean, didn't they right. literally like, I mean, the hundreds, like bottle yeah. after bottle. I mean, yeah. they, they looked and looked and looked and n- they couldn't find them. Yeah. Sorry, and I'm not fairy- interrupting the fun story the fairy tale, right and and I said magic mushroom inside the fairy tale context but maybe I want to take that back 
<laughs> because <laughs> this isn't about <laughs> magic mushrooms. But, you know, like she's out looking for like the magic flower in the fairy tale. So she couldn't find the magic flower. And then she comes back disappointed. Oh, grandmother, I couldn't find the magic flower. Like that's totally the texture yeah. of the story. And her grandmother's like, well, Emily, the magic flower only comes from the journey of a pure heart. Like I'm being real, <laughs> top, but, but this is really what happened. And, and her husband was like, you're going to have to create this. Um, and so she did. And so her journey of discovery became like a journey of creation, like a discovery for, it was still a journey of discovery, but a discovery of what's possible, not a discovery of what existed. Um, and she did it. She managed to, you know, they found, they not only found some, but they also started sourcing in a way that was going to produce the product that they wanted. And when you and I were chatting, um, you know, outside, well, still in the ladies room, but with no one eavesdropping on us, um, I used the (laughs) term that was their quantitative problem. So they had a problem to solve, which is the quality of, I'm sorry, the qualitative, qualitative. Yeah. Their qualitative problem. I can't believe I said it backwards. Okay. We have to restart the podcast. (laughs) <laughs> no, I, I was like, wait, now no. I'm really confused. Now I'm confused. So they but the quality the of the oils, right? Is what right, you mean they, by right. qualitative. Yeah. They had a qualitative problem. They the quality of these oils didn't exist. And they founded the company around creating them and the possibility that this could be the way that oils existed for human beings. Um yes. And, and we can mark today, you know, 14 years in from the time they found those first five bottles where they're like, these are them and the feeling like they found this treasure to now finally scientific literature is, is demonstrating without our opinion involved or anything else like that unquestioned, like that this is true. Like that the quality, the qualitative result they've produced is literally not in existence anywhere else. Um, And so, you know, gold star, like they did that piece. But right. and they doing actually, that, go well, ahead. they they actually solved two quality problems by solving this problem. Number one, it's not. They even said this from stage today. It's not that you can't ever get a pure oil, and this maybe kind of gets into the next problem. It's that if you get a pure oil from Bob Broker today, next week Bob Broker might not have that same one because he doesn't have any control over his suppliers. He just gets whatever there is and sells it. So on Monday, he might have a super premium oil, but on the following Wednesday, he might be out of that and have garbage. Um, and yeah, so- it's why so many first adopters are people that had experienced used oils before. It's why the conversation in Europe where they use oils all the time is so different than the US where it was like oils, what are those? I mean, years ago, but they... Um, so many people who are u- wanting to use oils couldn't recommend them to other people because, you know, whether it was a massage therapist or a naturopath, because they couldn't say, well, I have this bottle of tea tree and it'll help you get this result because the chemistry in the next bottle they would buy even from the same company would be vastly different. Right. Absolutely. So that was quality problem. Number one, quality problem. Number two was the literature was really lacking from the science community because the scientific the scientific community had the same complaint. We've even had some of the scientists that have sought, and what's so great to me is all the scientists we're working with and all the universities and hospitals have come to doTERRA. They approached doTERRA, doTERRA doesn't approach them, but they, a lot of them said, 
I've always wanted to do these studies, but I couldn't get a product stable enough to do a longitudinal study. Like I couldn't get a consistent enough product to do something that we consider to be scientifically sound because you have to control the product so that you can change the variables. So, so I have a question for you. I'm going to totally put you on the spot. I know you love when I do this, but I know you store Fine. so many things in your brain. Something might be in I there do. for me. So um, I'm trying to think of another sourcing thing that people might be familiar with, or I might be familiar with that's similar to oils, because you were just alluding to like, we, you know, you might get a first batch from someone that's not cut or diluted, but as soon as they have you on the hook as a customer, they're going to start cutting it because it's so financially profitable um, and also so hard to get consistently. So I'm like, is it, I'm like, well, some of these problems exist with how we source chocolate, like the kinds of problems that exist out in the, you know, where we source from, but I can't think of, um, another, I couldn't so think of another parallel. You created a system, you created a problem that I wasn't even talking about. It's a genuine problem, but that's not even the problem I was talking about. I was talking about that. Most of the oil sellers buy from brokers. So it's more like, let's right. make sure that third have party. A grocery store. Yeah. So you, yeah. you go to your grocery store and let's say, okay, so I know you hate when I talk about video games, but I love to play Stardew oh, Valley no. <laughs> yeah. and in Stardew Valley, there's, ah. there's a, um, it's like a farming game. Right. And then there's a, a work, uh, a market in town and people buy from him. And it's kind of cute because if you sell something to him and then you talk to someone in the village, they'll be like, Oh, I had some veg- you know, I had some pumpkins at Piers and he said he bought them from you and they were delicious. So he is a third party broker. I mean, he buys from whoever, right? He's like the broker in my analogy. He gets whatever he gets from the farmers around him. And it's unfortunate because I'm talking about food and farmers also do oils, but stay with me. So you this might have been so in. much better if we were talking about whole foods. Once you incorporated video games, my brain has to do like eight more steps. Right. But Whole Foods, I think, um, I don't know. I think they have a little bit more of a lock on their suppliers, but it's more like if you went to a farmer's market where there were only people that bought from farmers and never the farmers. So you might go to someone's booth and be like, oh my gosh, last week you had strawberries and they were insane. And they're like, oh, I couldn't get any strawberries this week. I have this instead. Or I got these strawberries from a different farm and they taste like garbage because they picked them before they're ripe. Um, It's a little too close to be an analogy, but it's more like that. So it wasn't even a matter of, Ooh, once I've got you, I'm going to start cutting the product because that at least you would have some control where you could say to the person, don't do that. And they might not. Right. But this was more like, well, this was all there was. I went out and I bought all the strawberries and they're all full of worms, but I, and I can't do anything about it because I don't grow my own strawberries. I can only buy what people, strawberry farmers have. It's like that. And I would Um, like to say that like as customers, like this is a pretty like, I mean, you can get the picture for how quickly this gets, even with a single oil, how quickly it gets very complex. But we all feel the same pressure that we're alluding to in our normal buying. And even even like when we start thinking about what am I going to recycle in my household, like we start feeling these pressures because there's so many, um, this has an effect on this and this, like there's a chain of effect that it's exhausting for us to think about. Like I had challenged my husband at one point, like I dare you to take 30 days and just try to only source things and use them in our home that you believe were sourced sustainably. And his brain was like exploding, just trying to think about 
you know, how that would actually work and even what metrics to use and all kinds of things. But we are all in this tension. And that's what, why this conversation is important because addressing this tension is really important for us as consumers. And when we start to participate in better systems. Yeah. It's what, it's what they allude to on the good place. Spoiler alert for the good place. If you haven't watched it yet, when they talk about the point system for getting into Mm -hmm. the good place that um, in the modern world, there's, there's too many variables. Like they gave the example of someone in 1780 gave his roses to gave roses to his grandma for his birthday and got a positive 20 points or whatever. He went in the garden, he cut some roses, he walked them over to his grandma's. But in the, in the modern world, the same giving roses to grandma for his birthday got like a negative five points because there was CO2 from the delivery truck. And it turns out that the rose farmer was exploited and exploited immigrant and all these things like you can't divorce yourself. It's foolish to think you can. You can't divorce right. yourself from this web. And I'm not saying we should go back to the other way because I like no, eating strawberries we have all the to time. Evolve. And, right. right. Like it, I don't want to go back to subsistence farming. Um, a lot of people no, die from but that I, too. Also the stress of just even thinking about these things all the time is really has a toll on us as consumers. But I think the right answer isn't to check out, but to look for systems that are really pulling for, you know, like value chain. I think that right. uh, that terminology is new to me at convention. I loved it. I was like, oh, that's such a great way of putting it. Well, so and we've, kind of, we've talked a little bit about that when we talk about um, like a good friend of mine works for Extreme Response. Um, which is a nonprofit that that's work that works with um, like underprivileged communities, a lot of women coming out of sex trafficking, um, very impoverished communities, and right. recognizing that everyone has something to contribute, everyone does, and that they come to these cooperative tables and ask for everyone's contribution, not in an exploitative way, but in a way that acknowledges their value and dignity. And, and like, you do have something to contribute and we want it and we honor you for it, which is different from, wow, you've got some nice uh, raw materials here in your poor land. We would like to scoop them out and leave with them. (laughs) Like colonialism, it's the, it's, it's not colonialism. It's like leaving the resources where they are so that they benefit the communities where they are, but also recognizing each of the people involved has value to contribute, which I think is what doTERRA is doing too, which is what you're kind of pointing to. Um, Yeah, it's really good. I mean, as I always point back to the language I love of ownership and um, entrepreneurship, like this pure idea of like someone having a stake in the game and having increased value for themselves that they get to keep, whether or not they continue the relationship you know, freedom and choice, you know, is so powerful and it's so opposite. Look, when I think about how many choices doTERRA made along the way and how hard, like how consistently they held just from the supply perspective to this, like, we're going to do it this other way, um, is really remarkable because most companies, as they grow the scale that doTERRA has grown, they make choices that the company is going to own more and more. And instead doTERRA made it, their job to foster the ownership of the people involved in their supply chain. And I mean, it's absolutely amazing the like the symbiosis that I feel, you know, from my perspective, working, you know, in their compensation model as a consultant, but it's also um, this pure, 
like they take that everywhere, which is just really, really unique. Yeah, it's um, it's like the difference between um, trading with a country and colonizing a country, right? That's the it really is. difference. It really right, yeah. right. So I love that you in. pointed to the energy of it too, because yeah, that's, yeah, because yeah. the the end result. So say that I'm. So let's go back to fairy tale land, right? So <laughs> let's let's go back to little Emily. So we've solved the, the qualitative problem. Little Emily has found the magic flower and it was inside her all along. Like that's the end of the story, right? Um, <laughs> like, like she generated the magic flower and caused it to bloom and then was able to pick it and bring it back to her grandma. The end. And they all lived happily ever after. But <laughs> now, um, now little Emily is like discovered that there's a country full of magic flowers and she sails there in her boat with probably her magic cat, I'm sure. And um, right, like fat baby. Yeah, and then she gets there, and then there's a decision to be made. I can conquer this land, have plantations of, that's like a little bit of a trigger word, plantations of magic flowers, enslave the natives to gather my flowers, take the flowers home. The result, I would say, even, okay, go ahead, I'm diverting. Let me me finish the fairy tale, right? Yeah, so she, it's like one of those choose your own adventures, like, Conquer like um the uh, video games again sorry there's a game called civilization which i haven't played in forever but you there's two ways you can win you can either conquer the whole world or you can colonize alpha centauri and i've always called that the boy way and the girl way to win <laughs> because <laughs> like the a colonization requires like tons of cooperation and trade so she's playing a little game right and she gets there okay you can either conquer this land enslave the people bring the magic flowers back or you can trade with them create a cooperative partnership. Um, Maybe her land has seashells and then she can show them how to make fertilizer out of the seashells. And now the country is producing more magic flowers than they ever produced before. And they sell the surplus to little Emily and she goes back to her land, to her grandmother. So in this story, the people receiving the magic flowers back in Emily's homeland have the same result physically, whether she conquers or cooperates, we have magic flowers that we didn't have before. But the result for the people on the other side is obviously different, depending on whether she conquers or cooperates. And I would say, we think we're having the same experience, but the energetic experience of unexploited people is crap. Like our energetic experience of a product taken from exploitation is garbage compared to our energetic experience from a product taken from cooperation and value increase and thriving. Right. So, so there's my little fairy tale with a lot of, a lot more passion in it than I intended to do. (laughs) But that's exactly, that's exactly what happens is companies really pragmatically. I mean, she took the little flower home in your fairy tale. And then in the middle of that, it's like, oh, now we need a zillion little flowers. Yes. So we're right. going to, and the demand created new questions. And I think in the middle of the demand expanding and them deciding how they were going to um, really answer that, like the journey changed them. And I think doTERRA is now playing an infinite game around value chain um, and empowerment of people that they've yet to even figure out how to articulate to even their, um, even a lot of their most passionate leaders, right? And I think that's the disconnect in the market because for sure, like the cheering was a lot of the cheering was around like, you know, the purity of the oils and all this stuff. And I'm like, yeah, but my customers 
mostly, I mean, they do kind of care about purity, but like they don't really believe a lot of the claims even being made and they don't really care about that. But my customers are starting to care about more and more like this value chain and really doing good and the energetic impact in the world and some of those things and how they participate around that in a way that is productive. Right. So the way I would put that in my fancy business school way, by the way, I read something So just to keep some silliness on the podcast. I read something I've been reading tweets. So now my, my social media age has evolved from, I read screenshots of tweets on Facebook to now (laughs) I read screenshots of tweets on Reddit. So now I'm on Reddit and it's really bad for my brain, but whatever. Um, Someone said uh, charcuterie is like depression food because you're just eating whatever random bits out of the refrigerator, but it's like business (laughs) depression because you put it on a little piece of wood. (laughs) Perfect. So anyway, I'm going to use my, wait, how does that relate? Oh, it was just a separate entertainment. Yeah. It was just, it just made me think of it because remember this is the podcast where I get reminded of stuff and tell a story. It's great. Um, I just was like, wait, does this tie in? Cause I'm lost. No, just the word business tied it in. It's like, Oh, speaking of the word business, I heard something funny. Um, So anyway, they solved their quality, their qualitative problem. They solved their quality problem. And then that created a quantitative problem, which is how are we going to get this great oil at this quality at scale? Because once they created it, there was an explosion of demand for it from all corners. So now they have, right. They literally created an industry. Like let's actually really capture that right like it wasn't like how are we going to start getting keep getting frankincense but like if we don't protect these trees if we don't protect the supply chain if we don't you know foster this we are literally not going to have enough and that is true of most of the demand we put on resources that we really treasure and so they created a whole I mean for sure people have used essential oils but not anything like not what demand started to get created yeah yeah so we actually something had to grow so what's interesting is their quantitative problem, now they have to do this on scale, presented them with another qualitative problem because they solved the quality, the quality problem, the qualitative problem of the plants and the product. And then they immediately had a quantitative problem, which is we have to be able to scale this. And then they were presented with another qualitative problem, but now it's in their sourcing. Isn't so that what fun? do you mean by that one? So, all right, I want a quality product. This is the little Emily story right yep. she finds I got one magic flower, i got the second right? part i didn't get yep, the third she found part. she found one magic flower now she needs a bunch now she's immediately okay. pre- presented with a qualitative problem in the way she gets a bunch so she okay, can choose yes. to either conquer the other right. country or cooperate with them so doTERRA was immediately presented with this with a new quantitative problem sorry qualitative problem but now it's in the supply chain so it's not it, it was a little bit in the supply chain before but they could have, like, it would have been relatively easy to produce, like, 10 quality bottles of right. uh, frankincense Right, the scale of it. Right. So in now, now that they have to scale, now they have a quantitative problem that's producing another qualitative problem, which is how do we keep not only the product pure, but the supply chain? Because they could choose to do it yes. by buying Somaliland. I mean, obviously not, but like, <laughs> I don't know, um, maybe you could, how much do you think it costs? It's gotta be one of the poorest countries. <laughs> right. They said it, right. like, it's like the poorest country in the world. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, we're not saying that to take a go we at them, bought but a whole bunch of Somaliland. 
Right. Well, and they could have, they could have elbowed out the, they could have elbowed out the brokers and said, Hey, we elbowed out the brokers. Now you work for us at half what the brokers paid for you. Right. They have another quality problem now, which is, and that's what's so fascinating to me is that they continue to solve the quality problems that are presented to them because of the amount they're scaling with integrity and thriving. Like, and ownership, like my, right? Because they create, right. they they elbowed out the middlemen, but they created cooperatives and empowerment and education for women. And, you know, this amazing, amazing, it is, it's just amazing. Right. Like if we want to continue Emily's little fairy tale, in my second one, she had a chance to either conquer the island or cooperate with them. But now what we're d- discovering is she gets to an island and it's, it's, there's a mean dragon who's forcing everyone to make him magic flowers and otherwise he like eats their kids or something. And she rescued them from the dragon and then showed them how to set up a magic flower trade and then helped them learn how to make fertilizer. Like it's the next level. Like they weren't free and she freed them and then cooperated with them. Whereas she could have freed them and re-enslaved them. It's so good. Cause one of the things that started to fascinate me um, from a, from a consultant perspective, when I started to work with doTERRA and we've talked about this earlier on some of the podcasts was I had a symbiotic relationship that they didn't control. Like doTERRA doesn't even know that I didn't work for the last four months. I got my paycheck in the mail. Like they don't, it's not even on anybody's radar. Nobody's nagging me there. You know, there's like, they created um, so much freedom and empowerment for me that it changed me and what I went after as an entrepreneur, not just, you know, my business goals, but my personal, you know, how I saw my value as being so important changed inside that model. And that is what we have to give back to people, no matter what systems of business they're working in. But Tara just happens to be where we showed up and, you know, it was happening. And so we've been doing all this distinguishing around it, but it's really um, that piece of like, giving value, creating value back and giving it back. Like that's real leadership, not just that people follow you, but that there's an increase in value and an ownership that somebody else can carry because any of these farmers like in Kenya, where they're giving back land that someone can own their couple acres after a few years um, of, of sourcing with us, they could take their result and sell it anywhere, but there's so much love and passion um, created in that kind of generosity that they don't. Um, I'm sure sometimes it happens, but on a whole, like they've solved the, they've solved problems in such a creative way. And in so many different, like the co-impact model, I mean, we can just imagine, right? Sourcing in China, sourcing in Haiti, sourcing in Wisconsin or wherever, you know, like they're so dramatically different. Um, and in such poor countries, and poor markets um, that they had to solve so many problems with totally different approaches that if you didn't have this underlying drive to create value and give back, like the model would fall apart because for sure there's a zillion easier ways to do it logistically. Right. Yeah. Like in the story, you slay the dragon and then you just take over his empire and keep everyone working for you. Um, Yeah. So So will you tell the... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, I was going to ask if you'll tell. So one of the big things that I was really impressed with is we even talked last week about Haiti 
and the the kind of the genesis of co-impact sourcing but they told that story at convention in a way that um i had never heard before even though i'd heard a lot about haiti and all those things i mean we increased the number okay i was gonna i'm gonna i'm trying to control myself i'm sorry i just I mean, we do, we have literally now thousands of jobs that are, are happening in Haiti just based on one product. It's amazing. And in a country where, you know, just ravaged by disaster after disaster, they talked about after the last earthquake, being able to go knock on people's doors and make yeah. and the sourcing team, making sure everybody was okay. And what it was going to yeah. take to rebuild their houses. Yeah, and they had a list is, of, they had a list of everyone that works with us and all of their family members. And they went door to door and said, is everyone okay? They started there with the people. They went straight down the checklist. Is everybody okay? And then they did an inventory of what people would need to rebuild their houses. It's insane. And on the supply chain on a whole, they, they can count how many millions of people are connected in our sourcing programs around the world. Like when there's disaster in different countries, like that, you know, we're connected to those and it is more effective than just the way nonprofits work. I haven't yeah. seen a nonprofit able to do things the way, I mean, business should operate like this and we would eliminate the need for an incredible amount of nonprofits in the world. Right. So it's funny because I was, when we interrupted each other, I was going to start talking about Vetiver. <laughs> so you're like, can you tell? <laughs> okay, good. Tell? So, um, so they, I, I can't remember the name of the new thing, but anyway, so CPTG, Certified Pure Therapeutic Grade, was their qualitative answer for the product side where they say, this is what we promise the products will be. And then the beginning of the qualitative answer, once they had the scaling problem um, for the system was co-impact sourcing and co-impact sourcing is, it was pretty loosely defined as like, we're just going to do good. (laughs) There there wasn't really um, any, any way of measuring. No, they defined it. Like, but really not nearly the way, like no, we're going to bring no metrics, our work right. and we're going to bring our healing hands work. Like we're not just going to bring water, you know, cause we need it for something. We're going to bring it because it's needed here or education for women or whatever it is. Like we're going to partner our efforts with our greater purpose, no matter right. what we're doing. And right. there were and some that, loosely defined metrics, but not anything right. like what yeah, they're not, taking on now. Not, well, and I want to, we'll save that for a minute, but not anywhere like they did for CPTG. Like CPTG has right. quantitative, like, like metrics you can measure this, 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 check, yes, yes, yes. Like it's all yes or no. Did it meet or not? Right. right. So Scientific co-impact, tests, etc. So co-impact sourcing was born out of the Haiti sourcing, uh, Haiti vetiver sourcing. And they introduced that at my very first convention in 2014. And they told the story of so many, so many of these vetiver farmers. Vetiver is a grass that's very abundant in Haiti. Um, and there were a lot of farm, quote, farmers. They weren't even farmers. They were like gatherers because they would get enough. They would pick vetiver on the side of the road. They would take it to a local perfumer and they would get paid basically enough to eat that day. And so doTERRA talked about going in and helping them um, showing them how to cultivate it and training and showing, you know, helping them. They found this, they found this amazing vetiver that was this quality that they were like upset that doTERRA from a quality perspective was obsessed with. And right. vetiver is planted all over Haiti because it grows really deep roots and helps create stability on the hills and where right. there are earthquake roots and, and all that stuff. Yeah. So to, to um, help with their 
scaling problem, their quantitative problem, they showed the, the Haitians how to grow quality vetiver, not as workers for doTERRA, but as owners and farmers, like, here's how to do it. We're going to train you. We're going to give you this training. And then they told us in 2014, and then we also dug them some wells because they didn't have drinkable water and everyone was crying and it was very moving like, oh my goodness. And they showed the people. Um, and I didn't know until this year that they no, had to dig five different no, times. <laughs> we're, we're telling it in chronological order. You always tell the punchline. I'm part. sorry. <laughs> so in 2014, I know you're excited. Excited to hold it in. Yeah. So in 2014, they told us the story of the well and everyone was excited and they showed people drinking water and it was a big deal. So this year they told another texture. Wait, I want to say story. one more thing about 2014 because then they right. also distinguished that like Vetiver needs to grow for nine months to be the quality for the root to be the quality that we're really, that we really want, but you can pick it after, I can't remember anymore, but much, much shorter period of time. So they actually created a cooperative model where people got paid for the whole nine months that it needed to grow um, in a way that was much higher and sustainable. So, I mean, I know you kind of alluded to that, but like, that's pretty impressive. Like, oh, yeah. this is why we're getting vetiver that's not at the same quality because it needs to grow longer. Great. We can we can pay for what we're actually looking for. Right. We can pay you to wait. Um, but they also set metrics around that, too. Like, there were milestones. There were payment milestones. Like, yep. I don't know. That they probably they got verified. The yeah, they probably right. verified the vetiver was still planted or they did like a root check or I don't know. I don't know farming. Um, so that was the level that they told us. Co-impact sourcing is born all the white people cheer. I'm saying that totally tongue in cheek, but like, right. Cause they're like, Oh good. We're bringing water and not just getting better. But like, I appreciated that. You know, yes, totally. I'm like, okay, this is good. I like totally, the impact that we're totally. Having. This is awesome. And everyone was very excited. And we're like, yes, this is why I want to use doTERRA because they took their need for good vetiver and turned it into something good for the community. Because not only did they make payments along the way, so people didn't have to wait. Like a lot of those people had no stable source of income prior to this. They were literally living day to day from gathering on the side of the road. Now this year, they told us an even greater texture that I thought required a lot of vulnerability on their part because they knew they wanted to source and they had found this very remote place. I don't, do you remember how far it was from Port-au-Prince? It was like hours by car. I mean, five hours by, by like remote over the road, quite, yeah, flew in the middle of nowhere and then quite a bit of like truck jeeping or whatever. And they're like, this is where we want to go. And they went in there super, super excited about the quality of the vetiver they were going to get. So they sit down and the leader of the community, I can't remember his title. It's like basically the mayor (laughs) um, stood up and said, I have a dream that my community has water that's safe to drink. And the owners and the partners that had gone there were just like, completely shocked and humbled because it literally was not even on their radar that this community would walk, what's it? Three miles, three hours round trip every day to get water that's not even drinkable. Hours. Yeah. Over Um, mountains, just awful. And it wasn't even potable water. Then they got it back and they had to still boil it it and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So, and they were, they were humbled and I don't want to say shamed, but maybe a little bit. I like, think wrecked, oh right? Any of us that yeah. have really ever been in a third world country or on in an impoverished community or seen real, you know, like lack of access to some of the things we've had, it does, it wrecks you. Yeah. Yeah. They, they showed them crying and everything and like, oh my gosh, 
I can't and believe. And that picture, there's a picture of the guy who led the sourcing thing with his head in his hands and just tears yes. running yes. on his face and Emily crying. And I, like, that was one of the most poignant moments of convention for me because they let it wreck them. Like, we can't just do justice. Yeah. And they have never shown us that picture before. They've never told us that story before. And then they yeah. told us what it took, that there was only one rig in the whole country that could dig the proper well, that they had to dig down five times, like you were very excited to say. I'm sorry. Um, no, it's fine. But, <laughs> and then we've seen the video of the people drinking the water before, but now in the context of who, because we've seen the one guy smiling as he drinks this beautiful water, but now we know, oh, he was, again, I can't remember his title. He was the leader of the community and taking the drink and realizing it was wholesome and a smile spreading over his whole face and the whole community celebrating. Yeah. And like, yeah, this is, this is truly making a difference. Like it'd be one thing to say, we want to trade fairly with you. That's good on its own. Noble enough, right. It's acceptable. But also that he was the one who said, this is what we need. This is our dream. This is our passion. And then doTERRA coming in and saying, we're going to help you fulfill on your dream, not in a condescending white savior way, but in partnership. Right. But like, like that dream, we're moved by your dream also. Like that kind of, right. Your dream is now our dream. Right. We're going to beautiful. Like that is ownership. Like I'm going to find a way to fulfill on my dreams. And like somebody saying like, we're going to dream that dream with you. And we are going to bring resources and we're going to let it affect us in a way it doesn't have to affect us. Right. Yeah. Because they could have just hired someone, but they sat there and, and let the grief of that, the grief of not having water for your children, the grief of all of that just wash over them. Yeah. Um, Which brings to the next thing that they're doing, which I am super excited about because now they're once again, bringing metrics and quantity to, and do you remember what it's called? I can't remember. This it's new, scorecard, um, right? it's a scorecard, but it had a name and the mm-hmm. scorecard scores the, the environmental impact, the social impact. What was the third one? And then there's like bonus. It, I mean, it, they're incorporating existing things. Somebody certified with some existing. Yeah, so like, they basically oh, right, said right, all yeah. the current scorecards aren't good enough. So we're going to make our own because we're already playing a higher level game and we're going to start rating and not punitively, but rewarding how much better we're making our process. Right. So just like they did with CPTG, where they said there is no standard that can measure what we want out of oil. So we're going to make our own standard. They're now saying there is no standard that can measure what we want out of our sourcing and our supply chain. So we're going to make and our I'm own not even going to amuse everyone by saying organic and making your head explode about that. So yeah. we'll just skip that for today. <laughs> well, and but even if you're super into organic, um, every country has their own standard for that. It's not enough. Um, yeah, it's not enough. Like I, I've heard people, I've heard people ask, "Is our frank?" And I just want to slap people for being so ignorant. Um, why does our frankincense not have the USDA organic seal on it? Well, because it's not sourced in U.S. Sourced in U.S. Genius. <laughs> um, don't I sound like all nice and warm? Like I hate stupid people. But anyway, um, so now they've created this scorecard, and then they've said, like, this is a silver, this is gold, this is diamond. You know what the points are, and incentives to get people into their thing. And then here's the really cool part. Well, it's all cool, but here's an additional cool thing. When when 
sourcing partners and growing partners identify improvements that they want to make to comply with, and, and social impact is part of it. It's not just the product or the right. environment and sustainability and everything. Social impact is part of it too. Um, doTERRA has a 75% uh, fund matching. So if a, con- if a, a grower says, I'm going to put, you know, $100,000 into improving blah, 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 doTERRA goes, here's $75,000 grant, go do it. And they have that 75% match, which is like, talk about putting Amazing. your money where your mouth is, right? And I doubt we have very many growers who are looking at, you know, $100,000 improvement. No, like, we have such small scale, you know, farmers. I mean, a, and- sourcing, a sourcing partner, maybe like they might want to redo yeah. a dis- build a new distilling facility or something like that. And I think a lot of them um, work cooperatively. So there might not be one grower, but there could be like a co-op of growers that puts in but I was just making the math easy because I think it's probably more than 10 K, but under a hundred. And I love, I love it so much because one of the things like we said, we were going to talk about is the impact on like what the corporation gets out of it. And I want to say like one, this is one of the things that a corporation gets out of it is like this momentum power, but this specific, when you give the problems to the people that know the most about them, that when you empower them to solve the problems, you get the best solutions. And this isn't directly connected, but one of the stories they told was, uh, I don't remember what country it was in, but that they brought water into the bathrooms in some of the schools. And that the impact of that was that now now girls are staying in school. Like right, they, they yeah. would have to travel home to go to the bathroom. So of course girls, once they start their menstrual cycle, you know, they just stay home. Um, if you had to walk like five miles back to go to the bathroom when you yeah, had to they said it was like 13, my God. They said it was like an hour each way. Um, yeah. And that's part that's of part why. I mean, we could do a whole podcast on doTERRA and women. Um, because they We should talk over about over. empowering yeah. women because I think we kind of give a nod to that. And from my alley becomes a feminist perspective, there's still a place <laughs> in me that's like, why does that matter? But it really does. Um, for a humanitarian impact matter that we empower humanity, but also women. Well, and we should do a whole podcast about it, but I'll leave you with the one quote from um, Rachel Rogers, one of the coaches that I follow where she said, um, it's not even a quote. It's a study that was done. Yeah, it's a statistic. And I can't, I'll look it up before we do the podcast. Um, You have to help me remember, but it was um, when women get wealth, like build wealth, something yep. like 80% of it goes back into rebuilding the community. And when men do, it's like 10 or 15 or something like that. I don't remember. Um, it leaves and a lot of the wealth just leaves the community. And that is part of what, you know, what we're pointing to, but I think, or is consumed, what doTERRA like, is doing consumed is, yeah, is personally consumed. Whereas women will reinvest it back in their families and in their communities. It's like, yeah. they're not buying the sports car. They might put their daughter in school which they counted as a community contribution. I mean, think about how many companies that we've all worked for or been in situations where they were solving a problem for us and they gave us the worst possible solution. And I don't think doTERRA as a corporation has never done that, but by consistently getting the small farmers and the small, like the field, whoever that is, their, you know, symbiotic relationships, the problems to solve, they get, the best solutions and the best results and they get really good quality um, results and impacts that they absolutely couldn't have otherwise because who would do that kind of work without the same skin in the game and I even think that where I get less impressed with doTERRA is when they start 
taking some of those problems on themselves. Um, like, okay, the field is a little stopped here, here, like we're going to take it on, um, that they never do it as well. Yeah. And you're talking about like on the consultant side, not on thrower side, because I don't think they no, ever true, do that on the I don't think side, they've done right? that. Yeah. Because they, they, who knows? They we're not that close to it to know, but I do think mm. it's so diversified that it, it, um, it works really differently. Yeah. They talk, they've talked frequently about, we've wanted to source this for a long time, but we couldn't find the appropriate sourcing partner. And now we found so-and-so. So they're always yeah. looking for that person on the ground to partner with who is super True. knowledgeable. I mean, they, they suspended um, Hawaiian sandalwood for a while because our sourcing partner died um, young and unexpectedly, not from COVID. This was years ago. Do you remember? Years he now. just like died and yeah. um, they had to pause while they worked to find a new partner. Like, they weren't willing to work with just anyone and they weren't willing to do it themselves. So they actually paused the sourcing while they, looked they for knew the way someone. things were being sourced. It was going to extinguish Hawaiian sandalwood if it continued, right? No, that's Indian sandalwood. So they stopped. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm mixing them up. Yeah. They totally stopped sourcing or maybe they source a tiny amount of Indian now. And then they said, okay, we want to source Hawaiian. And so they looked for a long time for a partner can't remember his name George no that wasn't it but anyway um and <laughs> no they they were super excited and they were sourcing Hawaiian sandalwood and then this guy passed away suddenly unexpectedly very young like 50 or something like that and um so they had to pause for a while because they wanted to find a partner with the same integrity and knowledge and all the things um because the way we the way we source Hawaiian sandalwood they only source it from uh, dead and dying trees it was one of the ways they keep it sustainable because that's actually good for the forests to clear that stuff out to some extent, but they weren't willing to take it over or partner with someone of less, whatever, less, you know, quality person right. when this guy passed away. So that happened a couple of years ago. Um, and yeah, I would love to talk about like empower. We haven't barely touched on empowering individuals. We've Ooh. only talked about the, the systems. Um, systems. Yeah, but I think you have to look up both. And I was earlier thinking, like, I've got to ask them to look up all those statistics and bring them for um, a discussion in the ladies' room about those things because they're mind, literally mind blowing. And I think, you know, it's worthy of the next podcast. And I have some woo things I want to pick your brain about in the ladies' room. So we have a lot of fodder for the next um, couple, the next couple times we're going to be in the yeah. ladies' room. Yeah. So we'll talk about like, We'll talk about the individuals and what we didn't even barely talk about what the company gets out of it, but we've laid the groundwork of little. And I told a fairy tale that I made up on the spot. So I'm proud of yeah, that. Good job. Um, okay. And so we'll wrap here so that I have enough time. Wait, to edit wait, this. wait, what? Yes. But I got to tell one, one quick thing. Um, I want to galvanize everybody a little bit, like in your own life, if you want to take, start taking this on and looking at it, like start looking at like, where are there qualitative and quantitative problems that I can participate with. And um, I don't think that's as burdensome to start to just look and where are there places that I can create ownership and look at value differently. I think just starting to foster those questions really produce some movement and some positive energy that, that we can capitalize on in the community of anyone listening to these over time. And yeah, I really want to give an update about the penis scandal, but I can wait if you want. No, hold it because we're okay. totally, like, we have time. Later, have time later I will get yeah. the penis scandal update. Yes, the penis scandal present. <laughs> so there's your, join us next time in the ladies room in the ladies to room. hear all about <laughs> the penis scandal.
All right. Bye. Love you guys. Ciao. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to subscribe to catch us in the ladies room. You can also find Lynn at A Spacious Life on Facebook, Instagram, and in Clubhouse. And find Allie at 5 Billion Entrepreneurs on LinkedIn and Instagram. Thank you.